Well, welcome to our Wednesday night service. I'm so thankful that we can be here today. I'm just going to move this real quick. And um, I want to introduce you to a, uh, a, uh, a, a church on Oahu, but some of you already know this church. It's uh, New Hope Leeward, and they're celebrating their 15th anniversary. So, yeah, we're going to congratulate them, but we're going to do it through video. So once the ushers are done, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to shoot a quick video on my phone, and I'm going to send it to them because we want to congratulate them for 15 years of being on Oahu and preaching the gospel and seeing many people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So hopefully you're, you're, you're okay with that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to say happy anniversary, New Hope Leeward, and then, or no, we're going to say that together. But I'm going to give you a cue, okay, that you're going to say happy anniversary, Leeward, okay? Can we, can we practice that? And, and it's going to tie in with our, of course, our message tonight because we're going to be talking about values, that's the series that we're in, but we're going to be talking about the importance of having values. And one of, the, one of the things we value is raising up young leaders as well as planting churches so that we can go out into the world and reach others for Jesus. That's a part of our mission statement. So basically what we're going to say is, what did I say? Happy anniversary, right? Happy anniversary, New Hope Leeward. Can we just practice in low-key voice? We don't want to ra- uh, waste our energy. We're just going to say, Happy Anniversary, New Hope Leeward. Okay, ready? Go. Happy Anniversary, New Hope Leeward. That was good, and that was like low energy. So imagine, imagine now, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to click this on so that we can, we can focus. Okay, and I'm going to, let me go this way because it's, it's a lot easier. And some of you, you're very good at taking selfies. I should have asked you to do this this part, but, um, oh my goodness. Okay, so what I'm going to do is, I'm, I'm already filming, okay? And so, just imagine the team you're rooting for this coming Sunday has won. That's the energy I want to see, okay? On a count of three, one, two, three. Happy anniversary, New Hope Leeward! Woohoo! Yes! Well done. Well done. Good energy, bad, bad camera person. So I, I, don't have, I don't have the equipment. That's all I had. But tonight we're going to be talking about this thing called value. And I so value the fact that you value people. You value people. You value your, your family members. You value people around you. And you value the fact that we have a church on Oahu that you're willing to do that. So thank you for doing that. We're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 27. And if you've been going through your devotions and reading the Bible with us, there's always something that God is speaking to us that is always relevant for today. In this story that we're going to talk about or look at in Acts 27, we find that Paul the Apostle, he has already been converted, as it were, and he is now following Jesus. He was a Pharisee. He knew the religious laws, and he, knew, he was a teacher of the religious law. By the time he came to know Jesus, he was already midway into his activities of persecuting the church, even throwing them in jail, imprisoning them, and kind of applauding the martyrs. Those who were being martyred, he was watching this and approving of it. And he was a part of that. He was a part of killing Christians. So now that he's on this side of conversion, he's learning about the sufferings of Christ and the sufferings that mankind goes through when they follow the Lord. Listen, you and I are going to suffer in life. 
The question is not if we're going to suffer. The question is what are we going to suffer for? Because if we don't know what we're going to suffer for, then we're just going to suffer with no purpose. Why would we want to suffer with no purpose? I mean, if I'm going to suffer, I better suffer with a purpose. When we first started sports, you know, peewee and playing football, you suffer during that first week or two. You suffer, but when game time comes, you're in shape. You suffer for a reason. Now, if there were no end result to it and the coach just said, I like you run hills, just run hills. For what? Just suffer. <laughs> like, who would want to do that? I just like you suffer. That, no one's going to do that. So when it comes to our life and this life as a Christian, we're going to suffer on one side or the other. And I don't know about you, but if I'm going to suffer, I'd rather suffer for the cause of Christ. This is the importance of having values. Without having values, we won't even know the why behind going through storms, suffering, injuries, hurts. We won't know the why behind it. But if we have values and we understand the importance of having values, then when we go through whatever storms, we can persevere because we have values attached to everything we go through. So let's look at Acts chapter 27. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Acts 27. And I'll, I'll read this story to us. And if you've never read the book of Acts, it's, it's such a good book to inspire you as being, the, as being the church. And when we think of who God has made us to be as the church, you cannot help but remember what Christ did for us. Like we can, we can come to church and we can be comfortable, but when we start suffering because we're following Jesus in whatever way possible, it could be in little ways, it could be in bigger ways. When we remember that Jesus suffered for us, even the, even the, the biggest of sufferings that we think we're going through seems so small compared to what Jesus went through for us. And so in Acts 27, we read the story of Paul going through some suffering and it starts off in this way in Acts 27, and it, I'm going to read the whole chapter, so it's about a six-minute read, and, and then we'll kind of go through it along the way. So it begins, Acts 27, uh, Paul is sailing for Rome, so he's going to appear before Caesar because he wanted to, uh, he wanted to uh, appeal before him because they were accusing him, of course, of the things that he was doing. So he said, well, I, I appeal to Caesar. So they said, okay, that's where you're going to go. So when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, now this is not a vacation. We see Italy. It's like, ooh, Italy. No, 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 no. This guy is going to jail. He's in prison. Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius who belonged to the imperial regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramitium, 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 yeah, Adramitium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia. And we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day, we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. From there, we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra and Lycia. Oh, Lycia. There's a lot of good words in here. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days, 
and had difficulty arriving off Snidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the lee of Crete opposite of Salmone. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So now it's, there's a season of storms coming up. So Paul warned them. Now Paul's a prisoner and he's warning everyone. He's saying, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the inland, uh, from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed through the lee of a small island called, called Kauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. So now they're, they're figuring out, how do we keep this ship together? we got to tie some ropes. Because they were all afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sartis, they lowered the, the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. It's amazing that that which was valuable in a time like this becomes worthless. In fact, it was, it was weighing them down, so they had to jettison their cargo. It's, it's amazing that during desperate times, you figure it out, don't you? And they had to figure it out. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. In other words, even the most valuable of things, they're trying to save but your true value will usually come out when you encounter storms. That's how, you really, that's how you will really determine what is of highest value. It's when the storms hit or what is valuable to you. That's how you're going to determine what is valuable. So they threw this off with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Imagine that, that you're at a place where you just finally give up hope. That's where they were. They just gave up hope. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, <laughs> this, is, this is so good with Paul. He goes, men, should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves from this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep your courage. So now he's going to encourage them. Because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Imagine the owner and pilot now. They're like, oh, we'll be saved, but the ship will be done. And at that point, they don't care what happens to the ship. But in the beginning, that was of highest value. But in the end, their life was of highest value. So he said, yeah. 
Everything will be shipwrecked except our lives. We will be saved. And so last night, he continues in verse 23, last night an angel of the God whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still driven across the Adriatic's... We were still... We were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and find that the water and found that the water was a hundred and twenty feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found that it was ninety feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed. <laughs> prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors left the light boat down, uh, let the light boat down, the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. <laughs> it's almost like the, all the, the prisoners were watching this, and then they said, you know what, unless we all stay together, we're all going to die. And to make sure we stay together, we're cutting off the lifeboat. And it just floats away. It's like, what are we going to do? Well, too bad. You have to stay together. In other words, when God spoke something, Paul made sure it happened. And he did whatever it took even letting go what seemed like was going to save their life. That this was the answer. This is what it's going to be. Many times our answer is not God's answer. It seems so logical to us that the lifeboat will save our life. And God says, no, it won't. You'll be worse off. See, listening to God is far greater than listening to man thinking that that's the way out. God's way out is always the best way out. Verse 33, just before dawn, Paul urged them to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. 14 days. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. That's about almost like, well, little more than what is gathered here tonight. That's how many people were on this boat. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. So now their sustenance, their food source is being tossed overboard. That's how in, in, in desperation they were. Threw that overboard. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they, where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. 
Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The, bu- the bow stuck fast. It stuck fast and would not move. And the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. <laughs> Imagine that. It's like, hey, we got to kill them all. Why? Because we almost died. And now they're going to escape. Don't make sense. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. In other words, Paul was right. That if you stay by me, your life would be spared. And because of Paul, this one believer, everyone was spared. So listen very carefully. Your value is that high to the Lord. That the people that surround you, he surrounds you with so that they could be saved. Think of all your unsaved friends, people that don't know Jesus. Those are people that the devil just wants to kill, destroy, and steal. He just wants to steal from their life, steal their joy. It's like God is saying, no, no, I, I put you there so that the people that surround you might be saved. But you got to let them know. Paul was very bold in saying, listen, guys, this is the God whom I serve. And an angel spoke to me and said, this is this was going to take place. However, if you stay by me, you'll be fine. It's like Paul was saying, the God I serve is the God that you can serve to. The God I love, the God I believe in, he's also available to you. But you got to choose that. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life, so he kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on, their, on, or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Now, in this entire story, we read that, yeah, it begins with, they, all they have to do is set sail to Italy. That's all they have to do. But then they encounter a storm so great that their lives are on the line, so much so that they have to tie the ship together, throw away everything that, that is weighing them down and things that, that are not important for that time, all the way to the point of cutting off the lifeboat, that which you should never do, but they had to. And then in the end, God was right. Paul used that moment, that storm, to glorify God. See, you and I are going to encounter storms, but if we don't have values or understand the importance of having values, when the storm comes, our values will go out the door. Our values of, uh, has such high value. Paul's value of his faith in God was so important that that was first and foremost with everything he was doing as they encountered this storm. Everything was, was valued because of his faith in God. Everything had a high value. The people had a high value. The ship had high value. Everything had high, had high value. And Paul even warned them and said, listen, if we do this, we're going to get shipwrecked. I value you. I value your career. I value your children, your family. I value these things. He, he knew the importance of having values. But these men, they didn't understand it. And, and finally, Paul was able to kind of give them the picture of, guys, if you would have just listened to me from the very beginning, everything would have been fine. However, at the same time, I'm wondering if these men would have gotten to know God. Because they prayed. They prayed for daylight. Non-believers began praying because they're encountering a storm. 
Storms are not that bad, depending on the perspective you're looking from. If you're looking from the perspective of possible death, absolutely. But you can look at it as possible life. And maybe through the storms we go through, life can come out of that. I remember the first storm I, I encountered. It was Hurricane Eva. I think it was 1982. 1982. Uh, Oahu took a hit, but Kauai took the massive hit. But I remember being 10 years old, watching the wind pick up. And this is how uh, Kolohe, I think we all were at, at, at a certain age, or maybe even still for some. But at that age, I just remember the wind kicking up, and I was thinking, I'm going to play outside. So all of us cousins got together, and we were playing outside because it was windy. And so we played outside, and it was, the wind was kicking up. And I remember we didn't have school because they canceled it because of the hurricane. So we went into the school. This is bad, children. I'm just saying that this is before I knew Jesus. And then we went into the school, and we were playing on the playground because you, you could go on the sliding board, and you couldn't go down because it was that windy. So we went to the bottom, and we let the wind blow us up. So it was fun. And then we went on the swings, and they would, they, our friends would have to push us, but they, it was so hard to push us this way that when they let us go, we flew up very high. So we had fun during this storm. But then it started to rain, and it got more and more windier. And then, windier? Yeah, windier. Got more windy. And then, after it got windy, the, yeah, that's, that's my word for the night. After it got so windy, we had to come inside. And then I remember putting masking tape on our windows, right? You tape your windows just so, or board it up. That way the, the glass doesn't shatter and things like that into your face, and, and then things go bad. So we're in our house. The electricity goes off. When the electricity goes off, we're all happy as kids. Like, oh, it's dark. So we're, we're like having fun. My mom starts lighting candles, so now we can play with fire. I'm 10 years old. I'm thinking, this is so great. I don't understand the, the whole scope of everything. So we're playing with fire with matches, and we're, we're building matches, and then we light the whole thing, and there's, there's this fire in the house. Only small. And my mom was fine with it. She was, she was okay because we were safe. And then we made these candles, and I remember my mom saying, we're, we're going to cook now. And I was like, how are we going to cook, Mom? And she goes, we're, we're, going to, we're going to use the candles, and then we're going to cut up Portuguese sausage. And then, this is so genius, we put small candles under toothpicks with tinfoil, and that was our stove. And we just put individual Portuguese sausages on like four or five stoves. And we're, it's just so cool. And we're watching it, it's frying, and then we turn it over, and it's, it's like a little hibachi. It was like a mini, like a mini bachi. And so we're, we're around it, and... Like, we enjoyed that time for some reason. Outside of the house, crazy, lightning, wind blowing, things going bad. But inside the house, we're having the time of our lives. That's how I remember the hurricane. When I watched the news the next day and we were watching it and seeing the devastation and the people that suffered and even loss of life, then, it only, then and only then did it dawn on us as children how bad it really was. You see, storms, storms are going to happen. We're going to go through seasons of storms. What happened to us in the home wasn't denying that there was a storm or, or, or neglecting the fact that there was a storm. We prepared for it. But what we did do is make the best of the situation. We did the best that we could under the circumstances together because we valued 
our relationships. We valued our family. We valued our time together. When Paul was with the ship and, and with the people and, and everything that was in the ship, the cargo and all of that, it can almost seem like everything in there is valuable. And to some degree, there, it is true. There is value in that. But once the storm hit, they now could really figure out what is of highest value. And in the end, it wasn't things, it was people. That's the importance of understanding and having values is we'll understand that when it comes down to it, the, values of, the value of people, the, the importance of understanding the love of our family, of, uh, the people that surround us, that value gives us a greater perspective in life than if we just valued everything and generalize everything. Now, it's okay to have value in certain things and, and, of course, value your home, the things that uh, God provides for us. No problem with that. But there must have at least some type of value system that things should never take precedence over people. Storms will reveal that. See, the, the key to surviving any storm is to outlast it. Because storms don't stay they eventually go away. It doesn't stay there. And what we're going to do is just take a look at a couple principles, three important values, how we can endure seasons of storms that come in our life and then come out on the other side of it better, stronger, wiser, spiritually matured. And we're going to look at three ways. Here's the first thing is to learn the value of prevention and perseverance. See, those two words, prevention and perseverance will go hand in hand because if you miss out on prevention and you don't get yourself ready to prevent what could happen, then you're going to have to persevere through it. However, if you learn the value of prevention, you can do certain things before anything goes wrong and be prepared for it, at least be prepared to the best of your ability. Yes, you can tape up the, the, the windows and board it up, but if a hurricane comes through and goes through your entire home, at least you were prepared as best as you could. You did the best that you could. However, if you don't prepare at all and you don't prevent anything from, or you don't, you don't prepare enough to prevent anything, then any mild wind that comes your way can break things down. But what Paul did is he tried to help them. Now, he wasn't in the, the position of the authority or have the authority to make the decision, but he did have the wisdom for prevention. And he said, guys, if we do this, I'm telling you, we're going to get shipwrecked, and it's not going to go well. There may be loss of life. Well, no one listened to him until the storm hit. And sometimes even as, as our, our, our spiritual maturity is being uh, grown and, and as we learn with God, there are certain times we hear the voice of God say, no, this is not going to be good for you, but we still disobey, and then in the storm, it's almost like God saying, this is, this is what I was talking about. Now we're going to have to persevere. Parents say that often. When, we, when parents say to the children, hey, this can happen, this can happen, this is why I want you to listen, and then if there's disobedience, and then they, they hit that moment where they did make the wrong decision or, the, an, or an unwise decision, and then the parent comes along and says, I told you. Oh, no, but like you tell me, I told you, but I did. Now, instead of prevention, you're going to have to persevere. So we, that value of perseverance is very important. You know when they have, uh, let, me, let me show this um, video first, but when they have this, 
When they have ships or, or, or boats in the harbor, they, they have to tie them to the harbor or, or the dock. And whenever, whenever you do that, especially if it's a place where the tide goes up and down, you have to make sure you know how to tie the boat. You don't just go to the harbor and then tie it up and say, okay, it's good to go. Okay, no, uh, you're fine. Yeah, so long as it's tied up. That's not how you do it. There is an actual uh, science behind it because the tide will rise and fall. So take, let's take a look at this, and I'll walk us through this video. This is a, a harbor and, a, and how the tide goes up and down. And watch, how, watch what happens. This is in Nova Scotia. And watch what happens to the boats. Now, the boats are on the mud right now, or the sand. It's kind of a muddy sand. But it can almost seem like these boats are useless. You can't do anything with them because they're on the, on the, on the floor of the, the sea or the, the outlet of that harbor. But as the tide rises, so do the ships and the boats. But notice the ropes on the boats. The, the ropes on the boats, they're not, yeah, it's, it's going full speed or, or they sped it up. So. But the rope has enough slack so that when the tide rises, so does the boat. And then when the tide goes down, the boat can rise and fall with the tide. And the boat is okay, as well as the harbor. Imagine if you didn't think about the rise and fall of the tide. Imagine if you just thought, so long as I tie my boat to the harbor, that's good enough. But really what we have to do is we have to think about the rise and fall of the tide. What does the tide represent? The tide could represent certain storms that come into our life, relational setbacks, Decisions that went wrong. It could be disagreements between people that went bad. It could be bitterness, anger. Maybe you got so frustrated that you lost control of your anger. It could be anything. There, there are just seasons that the, the tide will rise and then it will fall. If you don't have enough slack in the line, if your boat is here, it's a weird boat. Uh, if the boat is here, I have to draw the motor. This is the motor side. Okay, sorry, now I have to fix it. So, this is your boat. It's going to go into... <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> the artist at, at, at work. As the boat goes into harbor, if the ocean is 10 feet deep or 20 feet deep and the tide will rise by 5 to 10 feet, then you have to compensate for that. In other words, if our life is just so tight and everything is stressful, then the rope that you have from the boat to the dock will always have what we call tension. And if you always have tension, any movement of the tide will cause problems. And if your boat is right next to the harbor, I'll draw a smaller one. Notice I'm trying to make a mobera. So this is the harbor, and let's just say the rope is attached right here. Let's just say your rope is, you know, about maybe, I don't know, a foot and a half. 
because you want it right next to the harbor. You want to make sure nobody steals your boat. You want to make sure everything's good. When this water drops down, you know what's going to happen to your boat? It's going to look like this. Let's just say this is the harbor, and the water drops down to here. Your boat is going to look like this. Oh, like this. That's how your boat is going to look. And if the water goes below however you know, big your boat is or the rope, your boat is going to be hanging. And that's not good for the boat either. So you've got to have some room, some flexibility. So understanding this value of prevention and perseverance is giving your life enough slack so that the tension is not, it's not always intense. There are certain people that will walk around eggshells. We say that, I got to walk around eggshells around you because everything, everything is just so intense. Like you're always stressed out. Like there's no breathing room around you that anything I ask you, like you snap, you snap so quickly. Your anger, your, your temper is so short because there is no slack here. It's, everything is intense. But if you can develop some, some slack and some room, some breathing room, then when you have your boat and you have your harbor, and you have your boat here. I should have practiced this, but that's okay. Oh, brrr, that's the, the propeller. And if you can have some slack, then when the tide rises and falls, your boat will be okay. Your life will be okay. Your thoughts will be okay. The, the things that you're, you're planning will be okay. But if you leave no room for slack and, and everything has to be done just like this, you must listen to me, everything has to be like this, then there's no room for the tide to go up and down. Then when a storm hits, everything goes bad. It's like we never, we never gave ourselves room to be flexible enough just in case something goes wrong. That slack, that, that grace with people, the heart-to-heart the -heart talks that we have to have, the times in marriage that we have to come together and say, okay, where are we in marriage? How are we doing are we still doing our date nights? How are we with, with our children? How are we with loving people? Those, those times give us slack. It gives us room. How is our time in the Word? Are we getting into the Word of God? Because really it's going to be His Word that allows our hearts and the slack to be developed even more. That slack, that room, that breathing room is necessary. God even said, I'm going to work for six days and so will you, and then you're going to take a Sabbath and so will I. It's like God puts slack in the entire week so that there would be a day of rest because God knows that there are going to be storms in life that are going to come and he says you need that slack you need that room you need grace in your relationships you need forgiveness in your relationships you need understanding with your children you need a listening ear with your children sometimes we as parents we just talk and talk and talk and our children are like but you're not listening to me you're like I know I already listened to you for 14 years time for you to listen but where's the slack in that? And I'm sure, yeah, sometimes our teenagers, they do need to be spoken to. But at any age, we need to be spoken to. And I think if we're, if we're able to learn the perseverance side of it as well as the prevention, then we, then we catch more opportunities to receive God's promises rather than miss out on his promises because we, we, didn't, because we didn't value prevention and we don't understand perseverance. In Matthew Chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, Jesus says, Therefore, if anyone hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. See, when they threw the anchors overboard, the anchors are there so that it can steady the ship. But even with anchors, there's a ratio, a three-to-one ratio, so that the, the tension and, and the, the line would have enough slack in it so that if the tide were to rise and fall, you'd be okay, as well as the ship moving around. And if that anchor were to slip or would not be able to anchor itself down, you got to try it again and again and again until you can anchor yourself down. That's what perseverance does. you got to dig deep into the, 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 the hardest parts of the sand so that you can have a strong foundation, as in this case, rock. But soft sand with an anchor will not last. And so we try. We try our very best. But life will consist of winds increasing, currents changing, and tides rising and falling. That's where prevention Perseverance is very important. The second thing is to learn the value of discipline. The discipline that is required, like Paul, he he had to have major discipline in order for him not to say, I told you guys, so we're done. I told you guys, you should have listened to me in the very beginning, but now we're dead. We're all dead. Paul stuck to the game plan that God said was going to happen, that he was going to go to appeal to Caesar. So Paul stuck with God's plan, not man's mistake. From time to time, we stick with our mistake and we try to make everything good with the mistake rather than saying, wait a minute, God, here's where we are in the middle of the storm. What's your plan right now? Is there there something that I can be doing and learning in this situation right now that is a part of your plan? What what can I do, Lord? Because I want to turn to you because you have the master plan. Right now, we have mistakes, but we want to follow your lead. Yes, Lord, we should have listened to you from the beginning, but here, here we are right now. And the principle that we learn is God is always right. He is always absolutely 100% correct. His word never changes. It is correct. So what he said thousands of years ago, guess what he's doing? Saying the same thing. God never changes. That's why when he says build, build your house on the rock, he's saying here's, here's where you can anchor yourself down. It's in the word of God. But if we don't have that discipline, then we're like, we're like the wind. We're tossed to and fro, or we'll, we'll go wherever the wind blows us, and then well, wherever we want to go, or whatever we want to do, everybody's doing this, so let's just go for it. And God is saying, but hold on, you have a purpose, and I have a promise. But if you deviate, then you're going to encounter some storms, and you're going to suffer on one side or the other. But the question is, on what side do you want to suffer? It's going to require discipline. Are we going to fail? Absolutely. But if we're going to fail, fail early. Fail early, fail forward, but fail learning. If you're going to fail, then fail early. In other words, if you're going to take a risk and you're, you're starting to fail, you're, we're going to fail, but in that failure, fail forward. Don't just give up and say, I made a mistake. No, you keep moving forward, and then fail learning. Learn something from it. If you keep doing the same thing over and over and you keep failing, that's not failing. That's dumb. (laughs) That's different. So we don't want to, we want to, if we're going to fail on anything, we fail learning and then we keep moving forward. 
see, failure is not making a mistake or anything like that. Failure is staying there. It's doing the same thing over and over, not learning a single thing. That you just stay in that. Proverbs 24, 16 tells us, for a righteous man falls how many times? Seven times. And then what does he do? He rises again. Why does he rise again? Because that's what happens with the tides. It goes up and down. There's coral under here. And sometimes you've got to rise with the tide to avoid all the coral that is underneath, lest you hit the coral and then ruin your life. And it's like God saying, you've got to rise with the tides instead of saying, but there's coral up ahead. This, it's dangerous. There, there are certain things I'm, I'm afraid that this is going to happen. True. But let God rise you over the coral. Rise up your life. Kind of excel in life. And then you'll be able to avoid a lot of the junk that ruins our life. You rise above that and let God give you that value of discipline so that you can discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. It continues in Proverbs. It says, but the wicked stumble in time of calamity. Yeah, the righteous may fall seven times, but he rises again. The wicked stumble in times of calamity. That word calamity means evil, misery, injury, adversity, deeds, wrong, distress. In other words, when, when, you're, when you're stumbling during times of evil or misery or injury or, or distress, what, what makes us wicked is staying there. The evil person just stays there. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says, have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And when you learn the value of discipline, you discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. You discipline yourself for the purpose of purity. You discipline yourself for the purpose of temptations or or retaliation, or anger, or unforgiveness. You discipline yourself so that on the other side of it, you can land safely on shore. That's, that's the importance of having these values. Hebrews 6, 19, and 20 tells us that this hope that we have in Jesus is a strong and trustworthy anchor for us. It's for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary, Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, Melchizedek was a, a high priest, and that, his name meant king of righteousness. And so the Bible is telling us that Jesus was the only one that could go in the inner sanctuary, and speaking of the tabernacle, if, you, if we read the Bible, that that was a holy of holies, that Jesus paid the final sacrifice for us, so now he has access as a, the highest priest to stand before God representing us. That when we stand before God, he's not going to look at all, our, all of our failures and our sins. He's going to see his son, Jesus Christ, for all those who believe in him. He was the king of Salem and the priest of the most high God who lived in the days of Abraham. That's who they're saying this Jesus is. He's, he is he has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. What he's saying is there are people in, that are valuable that we may even look up to, but Jesus has the highest value. He's the anchor for our soul. See, if, if anything, if, if we feel that, 
our anchor has been slipping, our life has been slipping away, just come back to Jesus because he's the anchor to our soul. This is where the last thing comes in, we can write this in, to learn the value of accountability. That when we learn the value of accountability, people can give us a perspective that we may have never seen. That they can help us in our walk with the Lord. And when you have people side by side with you, it's almost like an anchor to a boat that needs more anchoring. Like some larger boats, they need more than one anchor. They need two anchors to sturdy the boat. And some of us, we need sturdying. We just, we just, we just need to be anchored in the Lord. And so we need more than just the thoughts of, I want to do well with the Lord. We need accountability. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12 tells us that two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. In real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. In other words, the Bible is telling us when you have accountability, when you have someone with you, you're a lot stronger than you would be on your own. And you and I are, I did a, a leadership training for a church about a week ago, and one of them asked such a great question. They said, how can I be more accountable and how can I find someone to be accountable to? Because I think we all want that. But my response is easy. I mean, my response is usually the same and this is the response I give myself. That we, we will only be as accountable as much as we want to be. So yes, we can find two or three people. Keep me accountable, keep me accountable. Hey, how are you doing this week? Good, but I'm not sharing everything with them. Hey, you know, last week you said you were going to stop doing this and, you know, you're going to make some commitments in this. Uh, you know, you didn't, you, you kind of didn't follow through. Oh, don't judge me. God is my judge. Yeah, but you told me keep you accountable. Yeah, but you, some condemning. You, you asked me to keep you accountable. I'm trying to love you towards your very best. Yeah, but you're doing them wrong. <laughs> so you and I will only be as accountable as we want to be. And that's up to us. Proverbs 27, verse 17, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Learn that value of accountability. Because we, we have blind spots. And people can help us with our blind spots. Find people that love God and they love you. And if you're married, they also love your spouse. They respect your spouse enough that they're not going to say, Oh, what? Leave them. But they love you enough to say, find God, stay close to God, persevere, we'll pray together, whatever it is. Get involved in a rooted and growing group or something. Find something that you can find accountability. That's the importance of having value, that we can come out on the other side, no matter what storms we hit. And then when we are on land, we can continue on with the promises of God because Jesus went through the worst storm that anyone could ever imagine went into the tomb for three days, came out on the other side, glorifying God. I pray that that would be our lives too. Amen? And close your Bibles and put away your notes. I'm going to invite the worship team to come out. And we're going to pray. I'm going to pray together. And I pray that our values would continue on. And keep learning these values from the Bible, from God. Stay close to Him. 
keep your relationship strong with the Lord. Find that person that you can be accountable to or people that you can be accountable to. Keep persevering. Find that area that you can, you know, do prevent, uh, prevention and, and just use wisdom. Use godly wisdom. Uh, and, and then let the Lord work on your discipline. If anything, discipline is that one area that we're going to struggle with because it almost, it's almost like a catch-22. You need discipline for discipline. But we can do this with the Lord. He will work all things together for good. Would you pray with me? Bow your heads for a moment. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we can learn from you, that you, you have given us such value. You died for us. You paid the price for us so that we could have eternal life. And so tonight, Lord, we, we're so grateful that you show us through your word that even in a, a simple way of, of the tide rising and falling and storms coming our way, that we can develop and learn these values from you. And we can persevere, Lord, and learn even in the midst of storms how we can be better for you. And so we trust you, Lord. We appreciate you. And we look forward to learning more values from you. For you are the one who valued us the most. We thank you for these things. We pray this in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen.